Hello and welcome back to the Library Coven, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly YA fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because critique is our fangirl love language and because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jesse and I'm Kelly. And welcome back everyone. We're back with a whole new season of glorious books to discuss. We'll be starting off the season with books chosen by Patreon members, so if you'd like to have a say in the books we choose each season and connect with other wonderful readers, consider joining our Patreon for as little as $1 a month. We'll drop the link in the show notes as we do, but before we talk about the books, Kelly is going to start off with some announcements. While we have you all raptly listening to our first episode back in a while, season five marks the start of five years of Crip Friendship and podcasting can the time has flown by can you even we started (laughs) with only master's degrees and there's almost two doctors almost (laughs) (laughs) and a cross-country move Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. a panini and so many things so many things (laughs) so i don't know i think five years big milestone something to celebrate So if you're just joining us, welcome. We're glad to have you. And if you've been here for a while, welcome back. We're so glad that you all magical folks are here. Not much is going to change as far as episode structure and content, but there are some new things to look forward to. Like we're going to try and do some Patreon exclusive bonus eps about film and television stuff because we are media nerds outside of the book world also. So join the Patreon if you want to get in on those. And then also we might surprise y'all with the occasional author interview, guest host, something from the show archives. Um, Yeah, so subscribe and then you won't miss anything. Fun stuff. In other news, Dr. K, aka me, uses they, them, their pronouns and has for a while. Genderqueer, NB, non-binary, trans, just plain old queer, all currently fit me. So... Thanks for respecting this slash for correcting yourself if you make a mistake and generally for not being shitty and transphobic. Love you all. Yay. Thanks for sharing, Kelly. We appreciate you. <laughs> Yay. Thanks, everyone. Okay, on to the book. This week, we're coming at you with The Jasmine Throne by Tasha Suri, um, the first book in the Burning Kingdom series. This book is a multi-POV tale that mostly follows Priya, a young adult with magical powers whose entire adoptive family has been killed, and Malini, an exiled princess who is trying to steal the throne from her evil brother. Lots of pining, complicated family drama, and obviously chaos ensues. (laughs) It wouldn't be a book on this podcast if there were (laughs) chaos. Chaos necessary. Initial reactions. Jesse, what'd you think? I went into this book having no clue uh, what it was about. I didn't even read the synopsis. I have a few complaints that I'll talk about later, but overall, I really enjoyed this book and getting to know Priya and Malini. The magical system felt unique and was super intriguing, um, and the relationships between the characters were very well written. I listened to the audiobook, which was narrated beautifully and really helped me know how to pronounce names and places and that sort of stuff. So always recommend for fantasy novels, even if I continue to say them wrong. <laughs> and something I saw on 
the internet webs that maybe we should do as a citational practice is start naming the narrators, the audiobook narrators. Oh, so yes. let's look that up. Yes, I'll look it up. What is your reaction? Okay, similar to you, I had zero idea what to expect except sapphic, which is like, mm-hmm. I'm here for it, obviously. I also have a few, you know, complaints, issues, things to bring up. But overall, there were a lot of things about the world building that I found particularly intriguing and the magical system, like you said, like the rot. I'm obsessed with this idea. Mm -hmm. It's just like really making me think about disability and illness and stuff like that in ways that are it like interweaves with the politics of the world really in in a really interesting way. Um, So I'm excited to discuss that. You know, even though it wasn't necessarily I wasn't like raptly attentive the whole book, I think I was kind of. Uh, is not my favorite that we've read and at the same time I'm really excited for the conversation because this book really got me thinking about like how so much young adult fantasy as a genre especially by like people of color is like so rad and just a place to really look to for the sorts of like speculations about how we can do things differently and how we can like change existing leadership structures yeah I just it, it just got me this book got me thinking about like all spiraling into all sorts of philosophical political realms so i'm excited to talk about it yay also looked up the audiobook the narrator is shiromi arsirio so we'll put that in the show notes as well i'm sorry if i uh, pronounce the name incorrectly normally i would like listen to how a name is pronounced before we start recording yeah we'll we'll (laughs) integrate this into our workflow from here on out since we do so much audiobook listening we do yeah (laughs) recommend if you like Jesse came through with a ton of things. Would you like to start us off with the list or would you like me to read it? Um, I can go ahead. An Ember in the Ashes by Saba Tahir, Game of Thrones, George R. R. Martin, um, Six of Crows, Lee Bardugo, Children of Blood and Bone, Tomi Adeyemi, and The Poppy War by um, R.F. Kuang. Game of Thrones and The Poppy War are both adult books, but I'm also not really sure where this book fits in, adult or young adults me either and I was gonna ask that question later in Kill Your Darlings and I was like I'm not sure it even matters but we can talk about it later yeah the other thing I would add was Neon Yang's Tenseret series which is like silk punk fantasy the magical systems really made me like reminded me of each other they're very very cool yeah and I think a lot of I don't know about the book you just mentioned but the other ones kind of share like the multiple POV high fantasy vibes and like lots of politicking going on so I feel like they all kind of like fit together in that realm both for adults and young adults same same with the one I mentioned too okay perfect so why did we choose this book why is this we're starting off with a bang I forgot I can't believe I haven't even made a joke about how it's episode 69 yet okay luckily I did that don't worry my husband was joking about it last night and (laughs) lots of jokes (laughs) okay well I did it within eight minutes of starting so that's good perfect (laughs) um this book was chosen by the wonderful melissa who you can follow on instagram at melissa.reads.it.all um we'll put a link in the show notes um you can follow her on instagram for more reviews of what she's reading and for more book suggestions um melissa is one of our wonderful patreon members and this was her choice for the season and actually i think we have another book coming up later in the season that she said was great she didn't recommend it specifically for the show but we decided to read it based off her recommendation so thank you so much melissa <laughs> time to talk about world building and through the wardrobe jesse's gonna start us off 
Yes. So this book was inspired by the epics of India, which I think means by, okay, let me try here, the Mahabharata and the Ramayana Mm -hmm. from what I looked up. I think I've read like the children's version of the Ramayana for like a children's like class, which was kind of cool. And I think I read that it was also inspired by Indian history, kind of similar to the Poppy War, where that book was um, based like a fantasy novel, but based on Chinese history. So I'm not really familiar with a lot of Indian history, like history from India uh, outside of like the partition. But I'll try and do see if there's somewhere I can find that we can like add a little more to what might have inspired this book. I need to like look up some reviews or like interviews with the author and see what she said about the book. But I thought it was kind of cool because I don't think we've had that many, if any, Indian inspired books before on the podcast. Yeah, I think you're totally right. I'm excited to dig into this one and then also maybe look for some more because I know that there's so many different languages and ethnic groups and cultures within India as a place, you know, so, but like, hey, it's a first, a first step. Yeah, yeah. Um, In this book, we see the Iranian people and the Parajati are the two groups of people in the story and the Iranian people call themselves Ari- the conquered nation. Arian? And so they're... Hmm? I think it's like Orion. Orion. Mm, You're saying like I listened to this like, like Iran. two weeks ago. It's kind of sounded like it when I listened to the <laughs> okay. audiobook. So all right, all I don't right. know. I'll stop giving you shit. That sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I think it's Ira. Oh, now I can't even do it. Araya. <laughs> Araya. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I can't remember now. I listened to the book like two weeks ago, and so now all the pronunciations <laughs> have gone from my mind. I try to like type them out in a way. That would make sense to me. The era yan, okay, eri. <laughs> this is a great start to the season. <laughs> We're doing so good because it kind of sounds like Aryan, but they're not Aryan, you know. Yeah, like, I don't even know. I don't know either. Now I think it's Orion. All right. Well, y- y'all go listen to the audiobook and then you'll have it pronounced correctly. But either way, so like Priya's people are under the rule of the Parajati. So I don't really know if this was supposed to be kind of like India under the rule of England because I couldn't really tell like what, like where from history this book was pulling from. And like, that's kind of what I know of India is like partition, Gandhi and like being under the rule of the of the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. So, you know, need to expand my world history because <laughs> from what you were describing just earlier your point about like the epics and stuff and what was um mm-hmm. the you know those go back way further way than, back you know, yeah the, the history that you're citing but yeah it seemed that we definitely have this like colonizer colonized or like oppressor oppressed dynamic going mm-hmm. on with these two like groups of people i know we're going to get into the magic later but the parajati are non-magical people question right mark? yes mm-hmm as far as we know. <laughs> yeah, as far as we know. Priya's people are the ones that worship, like, the deathless waters and mm-hmm. have these, like, plant powers a lot mm-hmm. of the time. And can walk on air? No. What's the Harana? Okay, sorry. I'm getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> We're going to get there soon. <laughs> okay, so uh, we'll just put a pause there. These, like, dynamics, right? We see this in, in like, Maya Motain's novels, the Occultist mm-hmm. series, Case in Calendar's books, Tomi Adeyemi's books. I feel like I could just name so many of the authors that we've read for the show, and they're just, like, all these 
thought experiments and spaces for like imagining otherwise like ways of like rebellions and coups and overthrowing corrupt leaders and institutions and um, just being like done with the violence and so it's interesting to see like these different authors conceptualize what the breaking point is and how people are organizing themselves and you know what happens in the light of the power vacuum I think that's one of the things we see with Malini that's really interesting is like she has so many fantastic and really like nuanced meditations on power and like what it actually means to have power. <laughs> it's like, it's given to you and you either exercise it or you don't, you know, we see her walking this line of potentially becoming a villain, but yeah, I just am like so in love with this genre and will stand this genre forever about like a space. Adrian Marie Brown and Walida and Marisha call it like visionary fiction, like a space where you can imagine otherwise. Okay. So that's my soapbox. No, I love it. And it's and it's kind of interesting because you like named a lot of the books that we've read that have seemed to have taken some inspiration from like rebellions that have happened in real life that I think we don't often hear about because we often, you know, hear from the people in power. So like in the United States, we're not going to hear about like we don't hear as much about like slave uprisings. We don't hear as much about like indigenous people who push back against like you know white rule um and i think the same can be said for like you know rf kwong for tommy abdiemi for a lot of the books that we read where we are getting the side of the people who were previously conquered which we don't get a lot of in real life so yeah i appreciate that in this book, we also see food and clothes as a way to show the cultural undertones in the story, which I thought was really interesting. I took a children's Asian literature class last semester in the spring, which seems like forever ago now. But one of the things we talked about is how like food and clothes is often used um, as a way to show like cultural norms or things about a culture and how there's like a fine line to be walking around those I think it was called the three f's it was like food fashion and now I cannot remember the other one and how like family maybe maybe but kind of like just talking about how like those things can be used in like a bad way when they're written from the perspective like when an outsider is writing about insider perspectives that they Mm -hmm. don't actually have access to right um so I thought this was really cool to see like, oh, these are the different things that people are wearing, the different clothes, but like, you know, you're getting the insider's view of the story and like how these clothes are important, what people are eating like on a day-to-day basis. So I really appreciate that about this book. And I thought that was really awesome. 100% agree because it does like all of these things that like are part of our material experience are affecting how we perceive the world too. So, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. you know, just making it, like the world building just top notch start to finish love it let's discuss all things magic aka the session section in which kelly poses questions and jesse <laughs> answers <laughs> and them me answer them <laughs> <laughs> So I thought the Hirana was super cool. It like seems to move around and it seems like only the people who are meant to be there are people understand like how it works and can like find their way around and like sufficiently are the people who have powers like Priya. So I wasn't really sure like I think this is where you were asking about like if they could <laughs> like I don't is it a physical on. space? <laughs> I think it's a physical space. Like another dimension? They, like, no, I think it's like in their world because they get Malini up there, you know. Okay, so can I tell you what I was imagining as the Hirana? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so you know in... Okay, which one Which one of the Batman movies has Bane in it? The Dark Knight Rises? Yeah. Okay, so I was imagining that, like, 
big tunnel. I don't know why. Maybe it's just the Chilean sinkhole is in my mind or whatever. It just <laughs> happened. But like, okay, so I was imagining like this big tunnel and then like, because weren't they like trying to like walk around the outside, but there was nothing around the outside, you know, and but like you had to like have <laughs> faith in your magic and like step on the rocks or the plants would come out and catch you or something. And otherwise you would fall to your death to the water on the in I don't know. So I was imagining like this big tunnel and then you had to like go down <laughs> or something and we're going to fall in. But maybe I'm just... <laughs> I have no idea. Maybe it's just like my wild imagination or I was just like not paying attention. I was just like not paying attention. <laughs> I was imagining like, you know, in um Hercules, like the animated Hercules, like the Disney yes. movie. Oh, yes. Okay. So I was imagining it like Mount Olympus, but like you have to like go up these like this like roundabout. Okay. So the opposite. Like, Yours was just going up and mine was just going down. <laughs> yes. Okay. And like. Like, you could fall off the edge. You know how, like, when you're driving in the mountains and you're like, I'm going to fucking fall off the edge of my car and yeah. because it's, like, so small. I was imagining, like, that, but, like, rocks that moved around. Like, in, Okay, um, okay. Oh, kind of like in Miss Marvel, you know how she can, like, make those little crystals that appear and yes. she steps on them? So I was imagining those but made out of plants. Okay, I was imagining those but made out of rocks. And, like, if you stepped on the wrong <laughs> one, like, you would fall to your death or whatever, which it does all, almost happen to, like, Priya's friend or whatever. Yep so okay well we just imagine two different things <laughs> <laughs> and we read the same book <laughs> exactly um maybe it's because i did not read as attentively but we'll see um if anyone else reads this melissa can you explain it to us please <laughs> probably i like i'm like are there pictures on the author's website of the harana and then we're both gonna feel silly because we're like not, it was none not of the above Okay, so what oh my God. this reminded me, the Hirana reminded me of, this is specifically what popped into my mind about Neon Yang's uh, Tenseret series, which is the first one is called, what's the first one called? The Descent of, no, The Black Tides of Heaven is the first one. And it's about, yeah, two twins and lots of politicking and stuff. But the magical system, they have this thing called the Slack. And it's like this magical dimension that like the magic practitioners can like feel other people other magic practitioners presence in it and then they can kind of like maybe tell what they're doing or communicate across it and this kind of reminded me of like because like when Boomika is in the Harana she can feel Priya do you know what I mean mm -hmm. so that's kind of what um the closest analog I think I have to try and understand the magical system yeah that that tracks <laughs> that makes sense y'all know I absolutely loved the business about <laughs> you just rolled your eyes. Oh my God. So big <laughs> um, about sages and wisdom traditions and just like talk nerdy to me about self-determinism all day. <laughs> oh my God. I love this philo philosophical section and yeah. So maybe it was written for the nerds like me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was not sure if you're okay i'm like struggling now like if priya's people all had the possibility to have powers or if it was just some of them what what did you think i was like very confused i'm gonna say i spent about 90 percent of the book confused about okay, the magical okay. system and <laughs> and also a little bit about the politics okay so i am not an expert at all <laughs> beginner's mind okay I've, I come very humbly to this discussion I feel like maybe there are a lot of threads that the author is putting out there that will come back together in future books yeah because there are two more after this that aren't out yet right 
maybe one of them is out okay. I'm, I'm not sure so yeah but the orion it seems like they have like plant powers like bumika was like making thorns come out of the palace and having all you know she kind of reminded me like poison ivy you know in that way oh, yeah. you know <laughs> and then all of these powers from the orion priya's people are related to the deathless waters what yes. do you understand about the deathless waters I mean, it seems like you go into those waters and the water is like, are you worthy of power? And if not, you're, they're like, you're dead. <laughs> they're like, you're not coming back. No, it was, I was like, wow, this is, and they're like putting kids in the water. So I was like, ooh. And, and this like the idea of like the once born versus twice born versus thrice born, which is like the three times one are the like most powerful. But man. That was intense. Those scenes, you know, where Priya's underwater and it's actually like describing. Um, oh, yeah. She like communes with the spirits that they worship, the Yaksa. Yeah. And it takes yeah. like different forms or whatever. It kind of struck me as like a Sphinx like entity, you mm -hmm. know, very like mysterious and powerful, um, but also kind of aloof. Yeah. But at the same time, it was like kind of hard to read. I don't, I don't think I have like a fear of drowning, but like I cannot watch on t like t in movies and TV shows when people are like being drowned, mm -hmm. it, like makes me feel like I can't breathe. So yeah. like those scenes, I was just kind of like, all right, Jesse, hold it together. Like nothing bad is happening. <laughs> and on the, just like a more general note, it makes me think of, you know, big rituals like baptisms mm -hmm. and these like various trials that I like lots of different traditions have. And just this, I don't know if it was be like an archetype or something, but like the, the idea of like the rite of passage is necessary for the acquisition of power and you have to sacrifice yeah. something like whether that's pain or, you know, you have to give something up in order to acquire power. Yeah. And this seems like it's kind of like a big trial for Priya because like she like sees her own heart or something and it's like been caved out or like, <laughs> I don't know. And she's like going at it with her brother, like fighting. Um, <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. What? <laughs> I said thanks for clarifying. Just kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, uh, that could have been taken either way. So I felt like I needed to clarify about the kind of book we're reading. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it was like, like the spirit realm kind of that they would go to. But also at the same time, like she came out of it and she was like, that was really hard. So I don't know. Well, and... Priya was also like this compass for like the deathless waters that seemed to like move around. Right. And like Priya could find it, but like the others of them could not. And then, so that caused a lot of drama between her and her and some of the rebels that were using these like deathless water vial, tiny vials or whatever to try and get some more power and then stage this coup essentially. Yes. Ashok. That's her brother's name. That's right. It's all coming together. Yeah, it's all coming together now. <laughs> uh, we also have, like, these names being tied to, like, prophecies in the book. So now I don't remember what that guy's name is. Uh, Rao. Rao. He, like, knows something about Malini and her name and, like, what it's supposed to mean or something. There's, like, prophecies tied. Like, so people don't, like, really know your real name, it seemed like. So it kind of reminded me, like, how sometimes we see fairy names and, like, how they have all this power and, like, the meaning behind your names or whatever which was interesting and different to use outside of the fairy you know structure <laughs> yeah and it, it's interesting that, like the the contrast between these two completely different ways of 
seeing the world and your agency in it like this one the deathless waters the like is that the like the one that uh, what's her her older brother who was just like nope shirking all my responsibility his name's not Odysseus (laughs) no 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 the other one Odyssea no idea it's the one that she goes to try and get back because he's like I'm a monk now yes 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 okay yeah, i don't remember what or his something. name is chandra the, right. the evil one that's like burning children okay so the deathless waters are these the nameless gods faceless gods i'm confusing it with game of thrones I, but there's something about gods that don't have names or faces i can't remember which one they don't have and they like know the prophecies or whatever and so you have yes. these people that worship that are in this sect that like have this idea about fate being attached to certain names and prophecies right and then you have these other people that are like we make our own yes destiny and like you go when you're a kid to like one of these like i want to say like priests i don't know if they were called that in the book who like tell you what the prophecy is for your life slash name right and like you get your name or whatever so yeah it was uh i was like what is going there's so many different things going on in this book it's like it feels confusing, but like once you get through it, even though it doesn't sound like we understand what's going on, it did kind of make sense. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We're putting the pieces together. It's just a puzzle, guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now we're going to talk about conflict, villains, and good and evil in our segment, Get Me Kylo Ren. I feel like the two big bads in this book were like Chandra and Ashok. I think they're kind of set up to be mirrors of one another, but it seems so clear to me that Ashok's motives are more like clear and easier to be sympathetic to than Chandra's because Chandra just seems like a really bad guy, like abusive to his sister, like locking her up and like waiting for her to die. Like basically having her like maidservant or whatever slowly poison her. He tried to get her to burn herself alive first yes and then when she wouldn't she was like no thanks pass and then she's like okay go to prison forever yeah and like a shook maybe didn't go about things in the right way but like when you're an oppressed people like it's really hard to like you can't just do things and in a way that looks good to the outside because it doesn't work so (laughs) because you're gonna lose any game of respectability politics that Mm -hmm, gets thrown mm -hmm. that you have to play you know because the rules are stacked against you diversity of tactics Yes. So I feel like you can kind of be like more sympathetic to a shook, even though he's kind of like using his sister and he's also kind of abusive. So, you know, they're both doing bad shit, you know, they're both like trying to be like for the greater good. And I like your point about how they're set up as foils to one another. I didn't Mm -hmm. really think about that, but you're totally right. Like they're both kind of doing the same thing. One's motivation just seems like more understandable. (laughs) Maybe you're more empathetic to the motivation of one of the two. Yeah, yeah. Like Chandra just wants power at any cost and Ashok is trying to like free his people. So I'm kind of like, yeah, I get it. I thought that Tasha Suri did a good job just like setting Chandra up for being the big bad coming up too because that mm-hmm. last that last scene where he's just like enjoying the smell of burnt f- flesh is just like, "Oh my god." Like I just can't even. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, terrible guy. <laughs> It's a good segue to the another point that I wanted to make about this quote kind of stuck out to me and I can't remember what they were. I think it was maybe Priya talking about her experience in the temple. And she says at one point, like, as if love could excuse like anything and everything, you know, because mm-hmm. sometimes it's used as an excuse, you know, for 
abusive behavior or, you know, I don't know, doing things that really are traumatizing to other people that you ostensibly quote unquote love. Right. I appreciated this point that it's like, it's not an excuse. It's not a reason. Yeah. A hundred percent agree. Like, I don't, I don't know where this comes from, but it is an excuse you hear from people quite often. <laughs> and I thought that we'd be remiss if we didn't maybe put Malini in this section. She's on her way. She really is. I think she'll be a villain eventually. <laughs> I think that's kind of what they're setting it up maybe to be like Priya versus Malini or whatever mm-hmm. later on. Because yeah, Malini's making these choices that are taking her down this villain route. It's also making me think of, um, I saw everything everywhere all at once that Mm -hmm. film it was so flipping good so good i haven't seen it yet please it's worth it to rent even if you have to like pay some money for some good media because it's it's so good but it reminded me of like so it's like the multiverse idea but it's these different choices that send you down different multiverses and then you can get like the different choices like remove you more degrees away and then like different versions of yourself have totally different powers because of the different choices that they make and that's also a thread that runs throughout this book so yeah there's a watch alike all right are we ready ready all right (laughs) onward magical friends we're not just simply walking into mordor (laughs) we are raptly awaiting the lord of the rings reboot that is coming out in september (laughs) I'm speaking for myself. <laughs> Jesse probably couldn't care. I got a lot of shows to watch, but it'll be added to the list. <laughs> let me tell you. So we're going to talk about race, class, and gender and ability, et cetera, et cetera. This is our segment about power and bodies and how they relate. So maybe should I mention this at the top? I don't remember if the book came with content warnings, but I, or if the content warnings were just on the author's website. But one of the content warnings was uh, about colorism in the book. And at one point, Prem, who was like, super side character like thinking back i hardly I remember him i'm like trying to remember who this character is and failing he's like friends with rao and i think he dies so. okay okay yeah, yeah but anyways he makes a comment about how dark priya is so we get to see a bit of colorism going on in the book and i don't think that's something we get a lot but i do think is something that you see in a lot of cultures for people of color where being lighter is very important skin bleaching like all kinds of things so mm-hmm. obviously this comment is not appreciated in any way shape or form but i appreciate that Tasha Suri like brought attention to like how this happens in different communities of color and just like the banality of these sorts of comments, you know, that just like everywhere of it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We get Malini's POV that describes Priya as kind of plain looking, like literally Malini's like, she's not beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Refreshing. Yeah. I don't think we get uh, many books where the MCs aren't gorgeous. So this was a nice change of pace and a reminder that looks aren't everything. And I think Priya becomes beautiful in Malini's eyes because of who she is as a person. But also Priya doesn't seem particularly concerned with her looks. Like we don't have like, I feel like sometimes we get like the Black Widow-esque like Marvel character, like got to go into battle with hair and makeup fully on point or whatever 100 percent. so we don't get this and that's like like not a dig at people who are concerned with the way they look and like present a specific visual whatever but it's just nice to see someone who doesn't do that so because i don't think we get it very often i agree with you completely i didn't really focus on this aspect so i'm really glad that you brought it up because it's like it's so true that a lot of these main characters are like conventionally gorgeous you know like aspirationally like we get a lot of characters that are thin or super strong or like the amazing at archery or like i don't know have like a bajillion 
powers or are just skinny or I don't know, whatever. This book wasn't focusing on those aspects of this character at all. Yeah, it was just a nice change of pace to see something different. We also see that closeness to royalty slash higher class will not save you when you're oppressed. This is specific to like Bumika and Priya. So like even when you're family, and I think we can relate this back to like so many things, but what came to mind for me the most was thinking about how proximity to whiteness will not save you when you are a black indigenous or person of color. And we see how that plays out a lot within our society. So I appreciated like a different look at that. So like how closeness to a specific different higher class also will not save you. <laughs> nope. Don't put your eggs in the basket, people yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's a shitty basket there were a few times that like i was like ew rich people you know just because of like i i think it might have been a few times in malini's exposition because she's like a princess you know a fallen princess Mm -hmm. who's used to a certain amount of wealth and power and like the respect or the like cultural capital that comes with having that like actual money you know so there are a few times when she's like posturing with some of the other people uh, i think she when she and is like at that temple kind of at the end with these other Adidia's mm-hmm. like other like allies or whatever. And she's talking to all these people and she's like, oh, I wish I had, you know, nicer clothes or I wish I had my jewels or whatever, you know, just yeah. to like make more of an impression. But yeah, this, yeah. Proximity to whiteness, wealth, those sorts of things, colonizer status, you know, it's a, uh, it's a poison apple friends. Yeah. Going off of that, you kind of mentioned how like Malini's like, I wish I had all these things with me. But I also think like if Malini were a man, I don't think anyone would have doubted her so much. So we kind of see like her brother, Adidia, like not really sure what, about her plans. Like Ashuk's kind of going along with it and like believes in her. But I think if she were a dude, they everyone just would have been like, yeah, okay, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. And she calls that out totally. It, she's like, because she has like a, an essentially a, like a Hail Mary plan that take some lot it's like burning the forest right and like taking some lives in the in the process and all of these dudes are like surprised that she's so ruthless and she's like if you didn't know me the whole time then that's your bad not my bad exactly we do put on certain masks right but if you were showing people who you were the whole time and they just didn't want to see it because they're like you're a woman you're gentle and like a meek bambi (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and like then that's their problem There is so much going on with illness and disability in the book, which I like to nerd out about. The rot was like this really spectacular, as in like the word spectacle is what comes to mind. The people growing leaves out of their hair and like sticks coming out of their stomach or whatever, because like as they get further and further along with this chronic illness that apparently like turns them into plants or like trees. Trees, I think. Yeah. I hadn't seen that in any of the fantasy books we read before, but I just thought like the, all the descriptions were just so visceral and beautiful and the imagery, you know, about like the flowers coming off of people or, you know, I just thought that was cool. And then also Priya at the end is like, Hey, I'm a magical healer and I can tell this chronic illness to stop being so bad. So we'll see where that goes in the future. Yeah, because it's also kind of interesting when you think about it from like a disability perspective, because it's not just like that is something that's chronic. It's something that's like degenerative that's going to get worse over time. So right. like Priya can't take away how far along they've gotten in that process already, but she can stop it from getting worse, which I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. And it's just like Priya's openness to the idea of trying 
you know and it just like how ev- the fear of people who are quote unquote contaminated or whatever with this disease has kept anyone from even trying to give any sort of like pain management or treatment in any sort of way just because you I feel like if there's no cure then sometimes like the abled or the ableists people out there are like well then fuck it you know but yeah for but sure there are sick people who live very fulfilling lives yeah tell, ask us how we know exactly <laughs> <laughs> but yeah there's such a relief to actually getting treatment like I really just felt that viscerally you know that moment between her and Rook is that his name yeah mm-hmm. the little kid that she kind of adopts yeah I like that that scene was really powerful and it's just like yeah there is you know diagnosis all this stuff is fraught and at the same time when you get some relief it's really incredible it's an incredible thing yeah 100% agree Okay, so recently I was listening to this podcast, uh, Gender Reveal, which is an amazing podcast, and they were interviewing Leah Lakshmi, Piepsna Samarasinha, and they used a word that I had never heard before called ilder, like a sick elder. And I'm like, oh, oh my God, it just blew my mind. I'm obsessed with it. And I wanted to just put it out there so that other people <laughs> know about it. Cause like, I so have, we can all start using it. <laughs> I have elders in my life who have been fundamental to me you know like so crucial and hopefully i can be an elder one day one day (laughs) we aspire we aspire i feel like i'm an elder in my soul already (laughs) (laughs) finally it's time for shipwrecked a segment about sexuality asexuality sex romance and relationships and sometimes we take liberties and do some shipping of our own I mean, the biggest ship in this book is obviously Priya and Malini. I don't dislike it. I kind of am like, how is this going to work out? I feel like y'all are going to end up on opposite sides of how things need to work out. (laughs) It's like enemies to lovers to enemies. Yeah. To maybe lovers? (laughs) To maybe lovers. Maybe they'll work it out in the end. But I feel like Malini has made a lot of promises she might not be able to fulfill. (laughs) Well, and there was that whole moment where, like, what was Malini about to kill Priya or something? Yes, yes, yeah. Like, we didn't talk about that. That was um, that was intense. I mean, for the right reasons, like, you got to get that her brother has got to go. <laughs> That's <laughs> but fair. That's true. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think Ma- Priya would have been okay with it to make sure that like Chandra and Ashok didn't have like the things that they needed. But at the same time, like, I can't imagine like a loved one being like yeah i'm gonna kill you for the greater good i'd be like no thanks be like hold on no there's supposed to be exceptions yeah yeah you're supposed to have a moral line that you won't cross and i don't think Molly has that no we clearly see and i I suppose that should have telegraphed you know at some point what she was gonna do later on but i didn't Mm -hmm. i didn't i didn't see that coming yeah i was kind of tepid on this ship also lots of pining but it, it didn't feel like Sometimes pining really makes me feel that visceral pull, you know, of the mm-hmm. two characters toward each other. And I didn't necessarily get that. Yeah. I'm like on board for the ship, but I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out in like future books because I don't think we got to know, like we didn't get to see them get to know each other as well as I think they will in the future. Mm. That's a very generous way of putting it. <laughs> I'm feeling generous today. <laughs> I think one of the other big relationships are like Priya, Bumika, and Ashuk. And because they're a f- 
some of the few people left with their powers and they're all temple siblings i couldn't really get a read on if ashok and priya were like biological siblings as well no i think they're all just temple siblings okay so i think there's a lot in the story about adopted siblings um i think that would be most similar to the way we might think about this trio in our world and i don't think that's something we've seen much of in other books that we've read we see a lot of found families um and then those like found family end up hooking up to with each other because like there's love triangles or whatever because you catch feelings (laughs) um but not the kind of family that we see between these three. So they're kind of bound by their experiences and their trauma. And at the same time, they have the same kinds of relationships we might see between biological siblings and not being biologically related doesn't change how their relationship plays out. So they all still love it and care about what happens to one another, but it, none of it becomes like romantic relationships. And I don't see any of it becoming romantic relationships, especially now that his shook is dead. Mm-hmm. Maybe we assume he's dead, but like, it's fantasy, so maybe we'll he'll see. be like a a drown undrowned zombie or something coming exactly. back. Yeah, like maybe they'll just put him in the waters and it'll bring him back. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Shouldn't but it- I think that Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I this is a very good point because it's not biofam, but it's not the same thing as found fam. But they still have these very the, the relationships are still so nuanced, which I think is what you and well developed, which I think you pointed to in your initial reactions. Right. Is this like one of those things that you were signposting? Yeah, for sure. And I think like the author just did a really good like a really good job of like writing these siblings relationships like it felt real. Like I would believe all of the things that are happening right now, I could believe happening with bio siblings. So it was pretty it was well done. I really like that aspect of it. Now we're going to talk about writing style, narration, characterization, plot structure, and whatever else we want in the section called Kill Your Darlings. Like I mentioned at the beginning, I really enjoyed this book, but I think there may have been too many POVs. Agreed. Yeah. Like, I like seeing some of the others like Rao, but I think because sometimes quite a few chapters would go by before going back with a like going back to a character so i would forget who's who um especially because most of the chapters were either pre or amalini um maybe some of the other characters will play a more central role in the future but for a first book in the series this led to some confusion for me personally i think like with the multiple povs it's easier if you're like kind of cycling through them all instead of like having like five or six chapters go by from just priya's perspective and i liked priya and Malini, so i like to see those but like some of the other ones it kind of like I was like, who is this again? Like, what is their relation to the rest of the book? Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it's hard to have like the, when you kind of have this like character hierarchy, right? But you're still trying to have the other people that are lower on the hierarchy have their POV included. I thought Leah Bardugo did this really well in Six of Crows. And I think Saba Tahir does it really well. But I think to, one thing Tahir does it differently is that like, it's kind of like, Character A, character B, character C, character A, character B, character C. You know, like there's that rhythm that you were mentioning yeah. wasn't there. Yeah. And I think something that Saba Tahir does well is like in the first two books, I think we only get like the like two of the main characters. And then she like starts adding mm-hmm. in other characters as we get to know like a bigger group, like a bigger cast of characters. So like I understand why we had some of these other POVs just kind of like jumping to a shook for a few minutes or something. But like. Maybe it would have been better if we got more of them up at the front um, because then it wouldn't have been confusing or, you know, like it would have been helpful to me to be like, oh, here are all these characters introduced and we'll get back to them. You know what I mean? So it was just like 
a little confusing for me. I agree with that. And I mean, I, it's not like I don't get their narrative utility, right? Being able mm-hmm. to move to a side character allows you to maybe some chances for exposition or whatever, or yeah. a world building that you wouldn't have had if you're staying with a main character that's like stuck in a prison, like Malini and Priya, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I get it. I get the utility of it. And yeah, it just ma- it made it a little bit um, maybe staccato and jumpy for me. Yeah, and maybe if I was, like, reading the physical book instead of listening to the audiobook, like, if there was a cast of characters at the beginning, mm. then this wouldn't have been a problem for me. But on audio, I think it can be kind of hard because you don't have a character list in front of you while you're reading the book, mm-hmm. so. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, so I'm going to put something out there, and I'm not adding this book per- in specifically. This is, like, something that we see in a lot of the books that we read for the show. is like, the the vast difference between the tolerance for violence and how much of that is shown on the page versus sex and intimacy, like romantic intimacy and how much of that is shown, you know? And it's like, on the one hand we get burning children. Yes. (laughs) And on the other, there's like not even like a masturbation scene or like Mm -hmm. a lesbian sex scene that I don't know. I'm just, I'm just trying to think of like, it it just seems like it and it's not this book in particular it's so many other books in this genre right but do do you see what I'm like pointing at the like why I'm you know it's not like there has to be like a menu where you have to have one of everything and you have to like tick all these boxes right but it's just like such a vast chasm between these two things and maybe it's just like American society in general and how we've like internalized like that violence is okay and like other thing is more okay than the sex part but like yeah anyway I'm I'm just like kind of spiraling off but I want to hear what you think no I think you're spot on I think it's a societal issue we feel fine posting videos of like racist assholes like abusing people of color in the streets like you can have a fight scene in a movie uh like a pg-13 movie you can have blood and gore in a pg-13 movie but like let someone see like someone's naked body and it needs to be rated r if there's too much sex then it's like rated nc-17 or whatever you know like or people call it porn so i think it is a society societal issue and so much as like violence is normalized and sex is seen as like taboo and i think we see this in like especially uh targeted towards queer people where you know libraries are getting complaints about lgbtq plus books in libraries no drag queen story hours like like if there's parents of the same gender in a picture book they want those books removed from the school curriculum and I think sometimes especially for queer people their queerness is by society related to having sex as opposed to like uh, like we don't see that same connection being made um, for hetero couples yeah they're not like sexual predators that are just out there yeah exactly yeah so i do think it's a societal issue um and also i don't know the author like what her background is yeah yeah that's true she's not queer and didn't feel comfortable writing that kind of scene because she's like i don't have that knowledge base you know Mm -hmm. i mean totally sensitivity readers exist but still yeah i was just thinking um i read another book that did this that that also you know is walking this line and i i just finished the last night at the telegraph club club by melinda Lowe, and there is a really well done sex scene queer sex scene in there 
And there also are, you know, it's like rating the rate of a gay bar in the 1950s during the communist mm-hmm. panic and stuff in San Francisco. And it's like, so it's like both of those are existing in our lives as queer people all the time, you know, the violence yeah. and the pleasure, the joy and the pain, you know, you can't have one without the, I guess like especially joy and pain, you know, you can't have one without the other. Yeah. This is just something that keeps coming up and I'm, I'm each, each author approaches it differently, you know, and, yeah. and also as they're, as they grow in their style and they, and their books grow, you know, yeah. they, that also, you know, can, they can change also over time. Yeah. So interesting to, yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> okay, before we end, Jesse actually has something to contribute for Real Talk. You're starting off so good, season five. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you have for us? What changed your perspective or what came up for you? What's like a big takeaway? I'm just going to try this season to put something in Real Talk every week. Uh, just to spite me. <laughs> So this time I'm just going to talk about something I really enjoyed about this book. And what I enjoyed was how this book questions the cost of power and what people are willing to sacrifice for power or if power is worth it in general. And I think we see this with Malini trying to convince one of her brothers to take up the throne and then taking it up for herself and Priya and Bumika working out how to best govern their people. Um, I just thought it was really interesting to see like the different dynamics and how this might work. Um, for different groups of people because I think we're going to see Priya and Bumika approach this much differently than Malini who is approaching it much differently than Chandra who is approaching it much differently than Ashok so I just thought that was really interesting and I like that aspect of the book a lot well said period (laughs) what do you got for us (laughs) um mine is in a very different more Kelly vein (laughs) (laughs) so there's this one point when Priya and Malini are talking about the deathless waters and Priya talks about them as like cosmic rivers and like multiverses and co- like, and I'm just like, yes, take me there. Um, transport me. And then she makes some comment about how it's like burning worlds all the way down. And I don't know, it just kind of got me thinking like, yeah, it's burning worlds all the way down right now. And in that light, like what is our agency and what is our, where can we take power, you know, or reclaim it. And at the same time, just like, I appreciate Priya, like Priya and Malini are also foils to one another. You know, Molly's like, I oh, for got sure. the power and I'm like, it's there and I'm going to grab it. And Priya seems like much more, a bit more of like a poet's perspective, you know, just like looking at experiencing the world differently, you know, than Malini, who's very like, I need to overthrow my brother immediately. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know why, but I, when I was reading this, I put a bookmark in on the audiobook and I was like, it's burning worlds all the way down cosmic rivers. And then I was like, Mary Oliver's poem, The Summer Day. So I'm going to trust my past self and read The Summer Day, if that's okay with you. Go for it. Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean. The one who has flung herself out of the grass. The one who is eating sugar out of my hand. The one who moves her jaws back and forth instead of up and down. Who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? 
So you've probably heard that last few lines before, I would imagine, or seen it on a tattoo or an Instagram image or whatever. (laughs) So now all of you have heard the entire poem. Thanks for reading it to us. You're welcome. (laughs) No big, no big questions. Just, just life's life to contemplate here. Okay. You ready for card questions? Are we doing card questions? Let's do it. Okay, Let me grab them. Let's see what the cards have in store. Um, which events best reveal the character of the protagonist? I think for Molly, it's when she like burned down that little town of monks and was like, let the monks die with the enemy. <laughs> let them burn. Yeah. Yeah. It was a real, uh, Real Khaleesi moment. It really <laughs> was. It really was. That's such a good event that you highlighted. Such a good moment from the book. Priya? Um, I don't know. Probably her keep like going back to the Deathless Waters to like become her higher self. I think she's just willing to help her people in any way that she needs to, which seems very different than Malini's motives. So, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I agree. It it didn't have the same like star power moment, but it did feel like a similar turning point in the character's trajectory as like the, I mean, it wasn't as literally like spectacular as much of a spectacle as Malini's moment. Yeah. But I agree with you that it was touch and go there for Priya, you know, and she was going in there for the third time. I know I was worried she was going to die. I didn't know it was going to be a trilogy though. So, <laughs> Also, I'm, like, why didn't I see Malini taking the throne? I'm like, uh, when it happened, I'm like, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ready for another one? Let's do one more. Did the book ask whether it's right to follow your passions? I think it did with, when it comes to like, uh, desire, like sexuality and desire. Um, there were a lot of conversations about how in previous civilizations, it was totally fine for people of all different different genders or the same gender to be in romantic relationships together. But in the current paradigm, we see Priya and Malini struggling with, you know, to being told that queer, being queer is bad. Yeah. Yeah. No, I 100% agree. I think you're spot on. <laughs> Yay. Thanks for listening to The Library Coven. We'll be back in two weeks for a discussion of Witchlings by Clarabelle A. Ortega. As always, we'd love to be in conversation with you magical folks. Let us know what you think of the episode, anything we missed, or just say hi by dropping a line in the comments or by reaching out to us on Twitter or Instagram at The Library Coven. You can subscribe to The Library Coven wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'd also really appreciate it if you rate and review the show spread the word to other people out there who would probably like us. And if you want to read along, we also have a page on our website that's future episodes that Jesse just updated. So if you want to read along for season five, check that out. If you're able to support our labor financially, you can make a one-time donation to us on coffee. And y'all know that you can obviously join the Patreon for amazing perks and readerly camaraderie. Until next time, stay magical. Stay magical.